0: This series we're doing starting today is fight for it. We need to fight. And church, we are in a spiritual fight. Contrary to perhaps popular belief, it's a common thought at least, my job is not to raise up a church of nice people. My job is to raise up an army. What's an army do? Smile at people? Like, we fight. We fight. That's why... That's why this particular sermon, the series is Fight For It, but today I'm titling this sermon, Prepare For War. For the sake of all the YouTube, I just want to feel like I need to like clarify, I'm not promoting violence in this sermon by any means. These are spiritual metaphors, okay. In the Old Testament, the prophets Isaiah and Micah prophesied that in the final days, when, once Christ comes back to earth and, and establishes full peace, they prophesied of the final days of universal peace. And both Micah and Isaiah said the same uh, kind of a thing. Isaiah 2, four says, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Like, like you're, you don't need your weapons anymore. There's universal peace. So might as well make a farm implement from it. But that's in the final days. That's in the final days. Right now, we're not in the time of total universal peace. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back. Yeah. So in the meantime, we struggle on earth. We have, a, we have a fight on earth. And we need to think a little bit more like Joel, who several hundred later, years later, he undoubtedly was familiar with Isaiah and Micah's words. And Joel says it the other way. Joel 3:9, he says, proclaim this among the nations in New Hope Christian Center. I added that part. <laughs> Prepare for war, rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Forget forget your tractor. You need a tank right now. Let the weakling say, I am strong. I love that. That's not even the message. Let let the weakling say, I am strong. Church, it's time to go. And so in this series, we're going to be doing this series. It's a spiritual boot camp. We're going to learn how to fight. And we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians, specifically the, the, uh, a main theme in Ephesians, in chapter 6. Anytime you're studying a book of the Bible, the, 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 the Bible is composed of a lot of books written over lots of years. There's an Old Testament, and that was before Jesus came in the flesh. And then there's a New Testament, and the New Testament starts with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The, that all tells the story of Jesus. Then there's the book of Acts that tells the story of the apostles and what all the, the apostles did as Jesus ascended into heaven. And the rest of the New Testament is a bunch of letters. Letters written to pastors, letters written to churches, letters written to cities, letter, uh, letters uh, documenting, um, le- letters to seven churches. There's one that's a letter to seven churches, specifically seven churches, about what's going to happen into the future. That's kind of the, the, the idea of the New Testament. And So when you're going to look at one of the books of the Bible, you've got to uh, understand some things about it. So who's the author of Ephesians? That's Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the author of Ephesians, and the audience is Christians. He's writing to Christians. Every word that's in Ephesians is intended to go towards Christians, specifically in Ephesus, but also other Christians. This letter was probably um, what would have been called a circular letter. So it would have gone to Ephesus, and then once they read it, maybe they copied it down, they would have, you know, like... Pass it on. It was like the pass it on game. And they passed it on to Galatia. The church in Galatia probably read it too. Church in Colossae. The Colossians probably read it too. They moved the letter around to all the churches. And so today we can still, that letter's still going around. And we're reading Ephesians today. And the context, the context of, of why he was writing, churches need to know how to live in our hurt and broken world. That's the context. There's a hurt and broken world around us that is not all friendly towards Christians, and Christians have to live in that. How do we do it? Another way to say it is the the, the context is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is the context. For um, Ephesus, it was a very spiritual city. One of the seven ancient wonders of the world was in Ephesus, the temple of uh, Artemis, and. Uh, They had, but that wasn't the only one. They had other temples to other gods that they worshipped. So they probably thought about spiritual things more than some of us do. It was always on their mind. And they were certainly used to the idea of war and battle. And that was kind of the context of Paul speaking to them. I think one of the biggest ideas we can find in Ephesians is this. Your struggle is more spiritual than you think it is. Your your struggle is more spiritual than you think it is. I can say that and I don't even know how spiritual you think it is. But however, like wherever you are, it's more spiritual than that. Your struggles are more spiritual than you think it is. The, uh, the apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he said this in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. I'm gonna read it out of the message paraphrase. He says, God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master set out for you well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life-or-death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. Everybody say, be prepared. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over, but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith and salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. That's what we're doing in this series. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Prayer pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out because we're not just in a fight. We're in a fight together. Come on. Come on. And don't forget to pray for me. Pray that I'll know what to say and have the courage to say it at the right time, telling the mystery to know, to one and all, the message that I, the jailbird preacher that I am, am responsible <laughs> for getting out. I gotta love the message translation. It helps in a lot of things, doesn't it? There's a story I heard about a, about, about a, a man who had an encounter with Satan. And Satan came up to, to this man and tempted him. And the man ignored him. Satan lied to him, brought fear into him. The man wasn't even phased, And finally, Satan was quite confused, and he said, What's wrong with you? Aren't, aren't you scared of me at all? And the man said, Why should I be? I've been married to your, to your sister for 30 years. What? I don't care who you are. That's funny. (laughs) Every good joke takes a turn, you know. But there's a a reality to our life that's beyond what we can see. That's, That's good. I should say that again. Say it again, Pastor! Okay. There's a reality in our world. That's beyond what we can see with our eyeballs. The devil is real. God has angels. Those are real. Satan has demons. Those are real. We're going to be exposing them today. There is a spiritual world that we need to be fighting. The NIV says it like this. This may sound more familiar to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against our mother-in-law. It's not what it says. The struggle is not against your mother-in-law. The struggle is not against your spouse. The struggle is not against your kids. It's not against your ex. It's not against Republicans. It's not against Democrats. It's not against Trump. It's not against Biden. That is not your struggle. Your struggle is against spiritual forces. Against all the rulers, against all the authorities, against all the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is more to life than what we can see with our eyeballs. Spiritual war is a really, like it's a really real thing. It's very real. How do you explain that? Like spiritual warfare Whenever I talk about spiritual warfare, I feel like I have to, it's kind of like trying to explain, like, that the email is in the cloud to my parents. Like, wh- well, where is it saved? It's, it's in the cloud. But Like, where? You know, it's... Th- As we talk about spiritual warfare, I want just, to just clarify something. Not everything's the devil's fault. Not everything is the devil's fault. When you chose to go back into that toxic relationship, oh, the devil's attacking me. No, you you dumb. <laughs> you chose to go back into a toxic relationship. That was your choice. The devil didn't do that. You did that. That's right. If you're fasting and you're choosing a second Big Mac when you're trying, the devil just did. T- you did that. Yeah, you did that. I didn't get the job. The devil's attacking me. Sure. Maybe, or maybe you have a stinking attitude and no one likes to be around you. And in one interview, they figured that out. Maybe, maybe it's your attitude that needs to be adjusted. Come on. We have some personal responsibility. Not everything bad that happens is the devil's fault. But then there's some other stuff. Stuff that's really hard for Christians that should not be hard for us. Come on. It shouldn't be hard to read our Bible. That right. should not be hard. It shouldn't be hard to respond to Jesus. He says something and we'll, we do it. That should, why, why is that hard for, for some of us? It tells us to go talk to somebody if we feel in a, like, oh, we should talk to somebody. Oh, yeah. What is that? It shouldn't be hard to respond to what God says. It shouldn't be hard to raise our hands and praise God. That's right. That shouldn't be hard. When we sing hallelujah to God, this should not be difficult. That's right. Why wouldn't you? I love you, Jesus. I want to give you all. I want to praise you all, but instead of focusing on God, our brain gets focused on like other things, and like, oh, you know, I'm going to block the person behind me. They can't see the screen if I do this, <laughs> or oh, I'm going to suppose. That, am I sure? I don't remember deodorant. Like, it shouldn't be hard. That's right. We're just surrendering to God. It shouldn't be hard, but it's hard. Why? It shouldn't be that hard to surrender to a loving God that saved us and does work in our lives. It shouldn't be that hard to tithe. It shouldn't be uh, hard to talk to God. But some of us have problems even praying. The moment we start to talk to God, we just get confused and distracted. There is a real demonic spiritual war that wants to prevent us from getting through. There is a real demonic spiritual war that wants to prevent you from getting through. That's what I mean when I say it's more spiritual than you think it is. Your struggle is more spiritual than you think it is. I want you to know what spiritual attack looks like. So I have some ideas. This isn't the only thing that spiritual attack can look like, but I want to expose the enemy. When, uh, when we're, I've never been like, on the Joint Chiefs of Staff or anything, but when they do like the war room stuff, like the presidents get together and they talk with the Navy, and I don't even know how it works. But when they get together and strategize, You know they're talking about what the enemy is doing. Oh, he's, oh, the enemy's approaching from the west. Okay, we need to put troops at the west. I'm gonna expose the enemy. Let's talk about what he's doing. Can we do that? Let's talk about what he's doing. So here we go. Here are some clues that you're under spiritual attack. Here's clues that you're under spiritual attack. Number one, inability to respond. And I mean an inability to respond to God. If you have an inability to respond to God, it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be hard. But if it's hard... That might be some spiritual attack. Number two, extreme confusion. Maybe you have extreme confusion. Listen, God is a God of order. God is a God of order. And some of us, at times, we wind up thinking like, I don't know what I believe anymore. Satan's lies have always been, did God really say? That was the first lie he told. Did God really say that? Yeah, he said that. The enemy loves to get us confused. Number three, lack of peace. If you have a lack of peace, that might be a spiritual attack. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's in charge of peace. He's the ruler of all peace. So that Prince of Peace lives inside of me, and he lives inside of you. If you're if you're a Christian, he lives inside of you. So when anxiety or turmoil rule my life over Jesus, that might be demonic. He is the Prince of Peace, and he's ruling here. So there should be peace. Lack of peace might be a clue that you're under spiritual attack. I feel like, like um, who's that comedian? You might be a redneck if Foxworthy. I feel a little bit like him. You might have spiritual attack if number four, you have a desire to quit. A desire to quit. You just say it's it's not worth the fight. I just want to throw in the towel. I shouldn't live. I'm ready to quit on my marriage. This is too hard with my teenager. I'm ready to give up. They can make their life. Connected with this is apathy. You just don't care. You just don't care. Some of you, if I said you should read your Bible every day this week, some of you think, like, you don't care. That's apathy. That's apathy. It doesn't make you a terrible person. It means spiritual attack. It means spiritual attack. God is a God of consistency. Yes. He doesn't give up on us when we reject him. Mm-hmm. That's right. and so we can give marriage a shot. We don't have to let marriage end without a fight. That's right. He will finish the work he began, so don't you give up. Number five, intense temptation. Temptations are normal for everybody. But you may have them beyond what is typical for, for uh, most people and they can have an unresenting control over your life. If temptation is far more than you can handle, that might straight up be a spiritual attack. The devil knows right where to go. Jesus, Jesus, did you know Jesus was under spiritual attack? Jesus had to deal with the demon, or Satan himself. When he was fasting for 40 days, the devil showed up. First thing, he's fasting, right? Hasn't eaten for 40 days. What Satan touch? You hungry? You hungry? I can turn, come on, you... I can Give me some bread, Jesus. You just got to turn over to me. Number six, drawn to old lifestyles. You might have some spiritual attack if you're drawn to old lifestyles. God will always take you forward. He's never going to take you back. I've heard stories of people that immediately after getting married, nothing, and then immediately after getting married, the DMs and text messages from older friends and exes start pouring in. What is that? How about uncanny coincidences? This happens more than once. Somebody commits to tithing and then immediately loses their job. That coincidence is absolutely uncanny. The timing was just too much. Or here's a common one. You don't usually argue in your car except on your way to church. These, an uncanny coincidence is things that are normal, but the timing of them is too uncanny. We, we have, in our church, we have freedom groups. These are groups that help people find freedom. Uh, uh, they get healing from wounds, they reject lies, they, um, they cast out fear that's in their life. We, we demolish strongholds that the devil has attacked in their life, and it's a 12-week group. And uh, a big part of it is, is a, uh, uh, an encounter, what's it called? Freedom experience, thank you, a freedom experience. Uh, and we had that this past weekend, we had about 40 people go through these groups, and we had a freedom experience this past weekend, and Satan did not want these people to get free. Listen, just listen for a moment. Listen to all of these things that just happened to these people right before freedom. Internet and computer problems that prevented them from being able to prepare. There was a bomb threat. Unusual anger and didn't want to come. Woke up with an unusual grumpy attitude. Sudden lethargic feeling and almost didn't come immediately changed once they arrived. Suddenly sick, the day of the freedom experience. Almost didn't come. Difficulty sleeping due due to an unusual situation. A house had a gas leak. Another house had the power go out. Another house had an AC break. Another house had a water line break, and the water was leaking all over the dining room floor on their way out the door to freedom experience. There was a last-minute work trip scheduled, uh, followed by flight delays, preventing someone from even coming. Unusual and extreme work challenges for multiple people. Somebody almost got in a wreck. Somebody got in a wreck. Family conflicts from several. Spouse conflicts from several. Multiple people reported headaches right before coming. Anxiety spiked. Somebody got a court subpoena. There was pet emergencies. The ER, there was an ER visit that was, led to distractions all week. And even someone had a sudden, sudden shift in attitude from God's going to help me to life stinks. I quit. I shouldn't, fi- I could, shouldn't keep going on this. What is that? Any one of those things would be like, well, that's normal. You know, well, yes, that was something that happened. But all that happened to those people yeah. on their way to get freedom, on their way to oppose Satan, yeah. all that stuff happened. I don't have enough faith to believe all of that just happened. I don't have enough faith. that It sure seems like that was an orchestrated attack yeah. from the devil. We're exposing them. There's two types of people. There's people that know you're in a spiritual attack. I'm talking about spiritual attack, and you're like, mm-hmm, Preaching, I, I I'm in it, and I need this. You're going to get the tools you need to fight. The next several weeks, we're going to be teaching you how to fight a spiritual fight. You're going to get the tools you need. And then there's other people that are about to tune out because you're in a quiet time. You don't feel spiritual attack. Don't tune out you've ever been a parent, you know that when kids go in another room and they get quiet, they're just planning something. There's just something getting planned, is all. It's, it's in the works. So don't tune out. Attack is coming. Attack is coming. I have three points today. That was all my introduction. How am I doing? I need to go. Three points today. Number one, spiritual attack should Be expected. You should expect it. You shouldn't be surprised when it happens. When you're on your way to a prayer meeting, you're on your way to church. and Why are you mad about that? What? What? You should expect it. There's some that believe spiritual attack or demonic attack specifically can only happen to a non-believer. And Christians don't have to worry about demons. That's crazy. I'm not... I'm not sure what Bible those people are reading. Ephesians is teaching us that Christians need to fight. Who? Who are we fighting? They're real. Christians have to deal with it. Jesus himself had to deal with a spiritual attack. Here's another thing my Bible says. 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert. Everybody say "Alert." alert. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We should expect it. We should expect it. Like a little rabbit doesn't get eaten by a wolf and all the other rabbits go, I can't believe a rabbit, or I can't believe a wolf did that. Yeah, that's what wolves do. Like, you know, just expect it. You should see it coming. I've heard this idea, the enemy just doesn't attack me. I'm, I'm holy, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm clean, i got to stay clean, I've got the power of the Lord, and Satan just doesn't attack me. If Satan never attacks you, it might be because you're not doing anything. Like, 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 you're not a threat in the spiritual world. There's something real. You, like if you're in a war and you see the wounded, you don't stop and shoot him more. He, he's not going to do anything. You keep going. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we don't want Satan to outsmart us. We know, we know how he does his evil work. So if we know how he does his evil work, we need to be watching for it. We need to be ready for it. We need to keep our shield up, and we need to fight. If you want to be in God's army, you got to give. You got to show up. You got to fight. You got to try. The only people that get attacked are the ones on the front lines. Let me tell you, if you don't get attacked, you might be hearing this and you're thinking like, well, why would I want that? Why would I want to go through the freedom experience and then have everything fall apart the day of uh, freedom? There's not a person in freedom in, in, that have gone through the freedom groups that would tell you that it wasn't worth it. Right. Come on. It was worth it. Somebody just said it was worth it. God, it's not worth staying like you are. Come on. You want to be freer. Keep you should be freer. You... you, you, sh- you I- You don't know you want it, but you want to be as close to God as you can. It is much better to be as close to God as you can. It is much better to fight to be closer and closer with God. That's better. That's always better. Here's why the only people that get attacked are those on the front lines. I want to help you. I want to help you with this. Jesus said this about Satan. He said this about Satan. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy Steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they've had, they can have life and have it to the full. So Satan's goal is to steal what God does, kill what God does, and destroy what God does. Now, who does the things that God does? Sometimes it's miraculous. However, we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So who does what God wants? I do. So that's not the only way that God gets things done. You also can do what God wants. He's created you're his handiwork to do good works that He's prepared for you to do. So Satan wants to get in the way to prevent you from doing the things that God has called you to do, because He wants to steal, kill and destroy. How does He do it? By keeping Christians at bay. He is scared of us. Satan doesn't attack you because you did something wrong. And a spiritual attack is not God's way of punishing you. Right. Satan attacks you because you are a threat and he is afraid of you. Yeah. That's not the only reason we're a threat. 1 Peter 2.9 two says, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare praises. Everybody say praises. praises. You may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're a chosen people to declare praises, Come on. to declare praises. I think we're a threat to Satan because we took his old job. In fact, in job, in job, when Satan went to God and said, can I, can I attack Job? Surely if I attack Job, he'll stop praising. Right. That will stop his worship. That's, right. That's what Satan was after. He wanted to sever his worship are you going to let Satan sever your worship we should expect spiritual battle when we're doing something worth attacking in fact if you're not ever facing spiritual attack I encourage you don't be so comfortable don't be so comfortable let's do something here's the second point for you number two know your enemy know your enemy our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our enemy. Yeah. Right. There's a dark spiritual world that is our enemy. So let's take a dive real quick, and we're going to look at who our enemy is. Our enemy is destructive. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He's destructive. So let's strategize together, right? Let's sit around the war table. or in the war room at the White House or something. Where is the enemy destructing? This is what he does. So what's he destructing? Think about, think about it, just in your own mind. Where, what is he destructing? If you had that thing in your mind, pray, because it's more spiritual than you think it is. He's destructive. Is he destructing marriage? Is he destructing relationships with your children? Is he destructing identity? Who someone is? That they're not made in the image of God? That they were made, but they were made not right. I think the enemy wants to destroy. The enemy not only is destructive, but he is deceptive. He is so deceptive. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He is so deceptive. So where are you seeing deception in your life? Just think, just ask God to, to show you. This one's hard to find, because you don't intentionally believe a deception. The nature of deception is that you're deceived. So we need God to shine the light, so ask him: Are you being deceived politically, racially? Forms of godliness? Satan is a liar. He's lying through music. He's lying through politicians. He's lying through media. He's lying through movies. He's lying through the words your mother told you. He's lying through the words your father didn't tell you. He's lying. Our enemy is determined. 1 Peter 5.8 says he prowls around looking for someone to devour. He was determined. I wish New Hope was half as determined as the enemy. Our enemy is determined. And our enemy is defeated. There is no cosmic battle between Jesus and Satan ooh, nail-biter, who's going to win? That's not, that, that doesn't exist. There's not a nail-biter here. Theologically speaking, there is no question. Jesus won. Jesus won. Not will, won. Luke ten eighteen. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He hadn't even done anything wrong yet. He just thought rebellion and whammo! Down he goes. He is defeated. So Satan, here's how this, this past and present works. Like so, so if Jesus did win, then why are we talking about spiritual fight? Great question. Satan had a curse on earth. Jesus became the curse. But we don't apply the blood. We, we don't walk in it. We don't do it. Satan messed things up. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy what he messed up. We just don't walk in it. Satan gives trouble. Jesus has overcome the world. Take heart, he has overcome the world. We just don't let him rule our lives. Jesus is the victor. He's the victor on our lives. Only if we choose him and consistently surrender everything to him. That's the third point. Know your part. Know your part. This whole section in Ephesians is about the armor of God and when we talk about the armor of God, you've probably heard a sermon about the armor of God before, and it's always like, hey, Kung Fu! Ha! Like, let's fight! Yeah! And we, we think this way, because the, the scripture says, finally, be strong in the Lord. So we're like ready to fight, and Rocky Balboa, let's do this. But if you try to muscle through a spiritual attack, you're going to have muscle failure very quickly. We need to read that verse. See, the verse, put that verse back up where it says, be strong. Can you put that verse up? We read it, be strong, but we need to read it like, yeah, be strong, but we need to read it in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where the strength is. It's in, it's in the Lord. Be, be strong in the Lord. It's not about being strong. It's about being strong in the Lord. When the Bible tells us to be strong, this is a very consistent pattern in scripture. When the Bible tells us to be strong, it very rarely says, if not ever, I have not found a spot in the Bible that says, man up, power through, muscle up, be strong, because you are strong. It's always connected. Be strong with God is it. It's always connected with, with be strong in the Lord. Joshua nine. be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. David says, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Habakkuk says it straight up. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Isaiah says, be strong, do not fear. God will come. God will come. That's why I can be strong and not fear, because God will come. We gotta know our part. Being strong in the Lord is not about God giving you strength. It's about God becoming your strength. Being strong in the Lord is not about God giving you strength. It's about God becoming your strength. A while ago, I was, um, I was went with a friend to the YMCA, and we were working out together. And there was one of the machines. Anybody seen this thing? It's an assisted pull-up machine. So, so what this assisted pull-up machine does is when you need to do a pull-up, you can put your knees on it, and it like, you put an amount, amount of weight on it, and it has an opposite force. And it kind of helps you. So if you weigh 200 pounds and you put 100 pounds on that and you do pull-ups, you're only pulling up 100, right? And I, I made this really dumb mistake of working out with, like, an army dude. And he was, like, really strong. And he didn't have nearly the amount to pull up that I did. And so we were doing pull-ups, And he's grabbing the bars, and he's, 58, 59, 60, 61. I'm like, shut up. (laughs) And it was my turn, and I'm like, maybe I'll get three, right? So I'm like, (laughs) It wasn't working. It wasn't working. And I was like, yeah, I think maybe I probably ought to put, put some weight on. I'm like, I had to put a lot of weight on the thing. To, to push up, and I was like, this is embarrassing, I don't want to use it, and I love my friend, he, he looked at me, and he says, why is that embarrassing? And I was like, I, 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 can't, I can't pull up, I'm not as strong as you, and he's like, Psh, you need it, well, I need it, I need it, well, duh, yeah, I need it, I can't do that, I can't do what he did, if I ever want to do what he did, I need to do that a whole lot, I need it. I'd be embarrassed about that I need it so I just put the weight where I needed it and pulled up what I could and that 's how it works if you try to power lift your spiritual fight you 're gonna fail you're not going to hold on tight long you're, you're going be you 're going feel feel like left hanging but when you know your part and God becomes your strength it 's like you just put 300 pounds of weight lifting you up. Hey, I could do this now. Oh, my goodness. This isn't nearly as hard as I thought it was. I still got to do it. I still got a job. I still got something I need to do. But I can do this. I can do these pull-ups, man. I'm competing against an army guy right now who's power lifting up there. But I can do this all day long because I'm being lifted up. Because I'm being lifted up. There's power underneath me lifting me up. God lifts lifts us up when we surrender. The point of our greatest weakness is our greatest strength in war. Because in our weakness, we rely on him. We look to him and we point to him. Second Corinthians says it like this. He said to me, my grace is all you need. My power is strongest when you're weak. So I'm very happy to brag about how weak I am. Then, everybody say, then, Christ's power can rest on me. Would you stand with me? When you see someone that you would consider a spiritual giant or is succeeding in a spiritual battle, it's not because they're great. It's not because they're great. The blessings that this church is receiving right now is—it's not because of me or my dad. We are so flawed. I mean, he's more flawed than me. I'm kidding. kidding. I don't even think that. We're 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 flawed. It's only because God is lifting us up. God does it. God does it when there's surrender. When there's surrender. Church, your fight is more spiritual than you think it is. Yes. So can we surrender? When I thought through how to end this this service today, I had some obvious thoughts like like we talked about. Like, let's sing a song about you know fighting and you know the war. I was like, no 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 no, let's not do that. We kind of last minute changed it. We're just going to end in the greatest way that we know how to fight, and that's by silencing this, us becoming less, him becoming greater, and we're just going to praise Jesus. We're just praising Jesus. The words of this song are hallelujah. Hallelujah is a Hebrew word. The first part, it's made out of two Hebrew words. It's actually a a compound word. Hallelujah means I praise. I praise. And Yah is God. I praise God. So we can declare our praises to God. Lord, we look to you. You are our answer. We want you to be greater. And we surrender all to you. You are so good. Let's tell him how great he is. Lord, you're so good.